we were struggling to understand the following, the following seemingly counterintuitive idea. The idea is as follows. Every system or every life, in order for it to have a constant flow, a ongoing motivation, requires a overarching glue that sticks together the details of their life and make, make them meaningful. A life where my experiences on a day-to-day basis are simply disconnected events but don't really form a bigger picture inevitably will be an empty life because I have a series of I do this, I go to work, then I come home, and then I drive, and then I say hello to my family, and then I go to sleep, and then I wake up. And each one in its own right is just that. Conversation, a work day, a sleep. There's no real direction, no real drive, no real motivation that is able to synergize them. In the world of spiritual practice, it is no difference. different. If I just practice spiritual exercises as individualized independent rituals so then the experience of my life is simply doing that and doing something else and doing a third thing and those rituals fundamentally are empty of a deeper sense of gravity and weight and experience. So we need to have something which unites them that all these little experiences of life can be expressions and manifestations of. What we thought would be the most natural place to go to, to find this all-encompassing principle that would synergize the practice of Jewish spirituality into one pithy statement, would be the ultimate declaration of Jewish faith, which is Shema Yisrael Hashem Lekein Hashem Echot. It's a declaration that I hear the basic notion of monotheism, recognizing that there is a unifying force that operates and engineers the created world. That unifying force is also prone to intervene with the lives of the individuals and the communities to facilitate higher goals. That my actions have repercussions and the response of people and events around me are reflections and repercussions of my actions. And I'm living in a world where things are engineered and designed. And that world has a purpose and a place. And I have a purpose and a place. And what I do is crucial. And my contribution to the universe is critical. And every movement I make has relevance and implications. And that's all contained in this word, the one that brings everything into being, Hashem, Shem, Havaya, the one that makes it all work, Elokeinu, is deeply involved in our lives as a people, in our lives as personal, particular, particular struggles. Shemichot, and all of that is one. It's all engineered, it's all designed, there's only one force that governs the created world. And even though there apparently is disparity, and the world looks like it's multiple factors all functioning independently, there's actually a unifying whole which brings them all together. And the fact that I missed my bus, and when I finally got onto the bus, the driver insulted me, and the bus then broke down, that's all part of the plan. 
It's not just that happened. And then when I get off from that bus and I arrive late to where I was meant to be, and as a result, I didn't get the client, I lost the job, that's meant to be. Everything is meant to be because there's a gigantic force engineering it all. I would think, well, okay, that's, that's an amazing foundation point in spiritual practice. I get that. And therefore, if someone would, would, someone would come to me and say to me, tell me, how would you encapsulate the spiritual practice of Torah in one statement? I would say, I would say, this is it. Hashem is one, Shem is everywhere, and He's involved. And that would keep it. Problem is, the problem is, this question was actually asked historically to a sage who was a faithful transmitter of the Jewish practice. And he gave a very different reply. The Gemara in Shabbos recounts the event where a person who wanted to convert to Judaism but wanted a real compelling motivation to do so approached two different leaders one was Shammai, great leader of the Jewish people and one was his colleague Hillel when he went to Shammai he said I want you to teach me all of the Torah while I stand on one foot Shammai pushed him away it's not interested, if you're not willing to invest the time the effort, so I have nothing to say to you Hillel said, no problem. No problem, I'll, I'll tell you in one foot. Now, the following words. What is hateful to you, don't do to your friend. That's the whole thing. That's all of the Torah. That's the entire spiritual system. The rest of the Torah is just a commentary and explanation of that principle. Zilgmor, go learn. That's what Hila said to him. Those are the words. What's hateful to you, don't do to others. That's all Torah. The rest is just an explanation of what that means. Go learn. Now, first of all, that's bewildering because my own seems to be like that, that seems to be like a, a social contract. It doesn't seem to be a spiritual system. And how in the world is Tzitzis, an explanation of what's hateful to me, don't do to others. And whatever this is. And Tfilin, and Shabbos, and Pesach, and Sukkot, and Shavuot. What, that, that's, that's an explanation of what's hateful to you, don't do to others. What in the world is going on? Problem. The Maral offers an approach to how which is really another way of saying what Rabbi Akiva said. Rabbi Akiva said a similar kind of thing to Hillel. He said, Loving your fellow man as yourself, that's the ultimate principle in Torah. Meaning that's the umbrella. Everything else is underneath that. Same idea. Same idea. Loving your fellow man as yourself, that's really what it's all about. Why isn't anyone speaking about God? Surely that's what it's about. I recently read a quote which I felt was deeply stimulating. This is how it goes. Religion is for people who fear hell. Spirituality is for people who've been there. And I want to explore a little bit in line of that thought how it works. What is this 
counterintuitive declaration of the mechanism of Jewish spirituality. Loving someone as yourself, that's the ultimate. It's, it's not deep meditation. Sublime connection with an overwhelming spiritual force. Years of practice and study to grasp the deeper wisdom. No, 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 no. Mm. It's about the way that I look at the people around me and relate to Why? But that's, that's people, people. That's not spiritual. Where's the spirituality there? There's a deep and easy trap to fall into when a person becomes spiritually interested. There is a counterfeit form of spirituality. It looks just like the real thing, but it's not. The counterfeit spirituality is a basic animalistic drive for religiosity. It's a part of the human condition that we are driven to a religious experience. It's a drive. Drives are operate as movers in our life and any drive which goes and operates and pushes me in my life unvisited, unexamined, unexamined by my curious contemplative self, any drive can be my ultimate distraction. Contemplation allows the harnessing of those inner energies and directionally putting them in the right place, moving them. The drives are the horse, but I need to be the rider. We all have a drive for food. If we wouldn't have a drive for food and our appetite wouldn't exist, it would be enormously difficult to survive because we wouldn't eat. The sexual desire plays a major role in society. It allows the creation of homes and bringing people, bringing children into the world. Without it, it would be very difficult to create relationships and to have a populated world bringing people into the world. There wouldn't be, there wouldn't be a drive to do it. Well, why would we do it? So the desire for food and the desire for, for, for sex are natural parts of who we are. There's nothing wrong or right with them. They just are. But unrestrained, unexamined, they can bring our destruction. person who becomes obsessed with eating, first of all, it can drive him to overeating indulgence and obesity. It can drive him to disregarding other people in his pursuit for filling his own tummy. It can drive him to the never-ending pursuit of a better taste on his palate and yet a better one and a better one. And it can be very destructive. On the other hand, it can be extremely constructive the right balance of food, eaten at the right time and the right amount, gives us the energy to drive our lives powerfully. The sexual desire, left unrestrained, it can create fractured relationships. 
It can be an indulgence in self, which obstructs us from seeing the other. It can create a vacuum as we try to numb the pain that we may be experiencing by filling it over and painting over some level of ersatz pleasure. Unexamined. Examined. It can generate warmth, togetherness, intimacy in the most powerful and incomprehensible fashion. So the drives themselves are not good or bad. They just have to be used in the right context, the right place, in the right time. There is a drive for religiosity. Unrestrained, just like the other desires of lust and desire for food, unrestrained, the desire of religiosity can bring about, bring about our ruination. It can get us to this kind of worship which disregards the others, becomes totally self-indulgent, allows us to alienate from responsibility to community and humanity, and isolate ourselves from contributing to a larger whole. It's a desire. It's a desire that I want to, I want to connect. I want to connect. It's a connection. But unexamined, unrestrained, unmitigated, boom, can destroy us. By discovering spirituality in the context of a human relationship assists us in deviating from a misappropriation of the power of religious fervor that burns within. When we put religiosity in the context of the other, of a relationship, of seeing another person, it automatically precludes what may become selfish pursuit of connection to a higher power. It doesn't allow another person in the process, well, explore it further. Another person in the process gets me out of myself so that the pursuit of religiosity doesn't become a selfish one. How so? And, and what so? And, and, and let's go back to the Gemara. So everything, it's everything. To gain spirituality, it's to gain the power of loving relationships with others. That's the ultimate spiritual aspiration. But why is, it, why is that a spiritual aspiration? Think about this question yourselves. They did a study. A person called Van Gur a few years ago. And the study was, if you could have one memory to take with you into the afterlife, what memory would that be? And they asked, I don't know how many, thousands of people. There was only one person that had a memory from the workplace. The majority of memories were dominated by the themes like an intimate moment with a loved one. Facing a precarious challenge and overcoming it. A moment of complete vulnerability. And those were the moments that people cherished more than others. A meaningful human experience somehow, somehow seems to always link to the notion of love and connection. 
The Maharal explores the mechanics of connection in a more penetrating fashion and states the following. In order for me to have a meaningful connection to the other, I have to create a point of overlap. That's what connection is. That we are together in this. The nature of material existence is best described by its boundaries. Things which exist in space and have matter have a beginning and an end. And if I put two objects together, they always remain separate. Connection seems to be a function of material transcendence in the framework of relationships. When I connect to another, it's not that my body is connecting, it's something above my body, something transcendent, some overlapping shared human experience, that in that experience we are one. So the Maharal says, what is that human experience? Specifically human experience. It's the notion that we share a deep transcendent self. And that transcendent self has an unrivaled capacity to love, to care, to have empathy and compassion. And when that part of us connects with someone else, with that part of them, that is a magical moment. That is a moment of connection. That is what's called, in the words of Maral, a moment where two souls unite. In other words, in other words, the nature of care, empathy and compassion a prerequisite for it is a connection of souls. Me seeing beyond myself and beyond yourself. And only then do I fully discover my deep and unlimited care for you. But as long as I'm limited, restrained by the physical parameters of my body, and that becomes my primary interest, so I push away the other and I cannot connect. If my focus is about myself and my stuff and my needs, so then your needs are of secondary priority, if at all. But when I find that spark of deep transcendent love inside of myself and inside of you, and then we connect, so then I have no limitations to how far I'll go for you because we are one. We are the same. In order to experience on a powerful, ongoing, consistent manner the love of another, I have to cultivate my own internal spiritual self. I have to become more in touch with a part of me that is beyond and transcendent. How in the world do I become in touch with my spiritual self? There's 613 avenues to do so corresponding to the 248 positive commandments, 365 negative commandments, which correspond to the different parts of our anatomy according to the wisdom of the sages. There are 248 limbs, 365 ligaments, connecting this body of mind to who I am and recognizing that for the full discovery of inner self, the mitzvot are descriptive. They are the way that I'm able to move, the depth of the beauty of my inner being, to the outskirts and finally into the reality of the world. And therefore, the mitzvot are cultivating their spiritual set of tools to cultivate a deep awareness 
of the grandeur of my inner soul, which in turn will make me spiritually enlightened, which in turn will give me the perception to see it in others, which will create a bond, which will then lead to Then I will be able to, with unbridled love, take care of all those around me. But it requires moving out of my my physical strength. And therefore, the entire Torah is expressed in Vaftarecha Because Vaftarecha is a way in which I discover the depth and the power of my unlimited, infinite self. And that, in a way, explains the riddle that we began with. The true way towards spirituality is reflected in the way that we relate to others. And if you'd like to measure your own spiritual connection, don't use the way that you meditate, the way that you communicate with the higher being, the way that you feel connected to that higher being. Measure it by the way that you connect to the people around you. Which is profound. It's so different. It's so different. It's such a different way of measuring spiritual growth is by relationships. And you know that if you find that your spiritual advancement is compromising relationships, well, you know one thing for sure. You are regressing, not progressing. Uh, que- yes, please. Uh, this is a tangent feel free to disregard what I'm about to say. But um, this seems quite linked to the fact that the better midrash was destroyed, was destroyed because of Silatina. Excellent. That, that's a great addition. That the focal point of spiritual worship for the Jewish people was the temple, the Beit HaMikdash. And you think, well, what could go wrong for it to be destroyed? You assume, well, they must be worshipping wrong. And the Gomorrah attributes the reason for its destruction, which means it was engineered divinely to be taken away. They didn't deserve it. Well, they obviously weren't using it properly. Well, why, why weren't they using it properly? Well, because they were hating each other. So, that's, okay, let them hate each other and worship well. You can't. You see, you can't. It doesn't go together. This is profound. This is just such a different vision of spirituality. It requires community. It requires relationship. It requires sensitivity. It requires empathy, compassion. It requires seeing the other in the deepest possible way, seeing myself in the deepest possible way. It's a world shift in my perception of how to grow spiritually and advance as a Torah Jew. Or if I go about connecting to Jews, the same thing as I Absolutely not. So how could you connect to someone that is not the same as you? How can you connect to someone who is not the same as you? Because once you become perceptive of the fact of what you have inside of you right now, you have it right now. Do you know what? You can't see it. You can't experience it because it's hidden. It's blocked by the fact that you haven't fully accessed the full range of your spiritual apparatus. But once you get there, You'll see it inside of yourself. And once you've seen it inside of yourself, then you can see it everywhere. It's very difficult to have an experience of another that you haven't had yourself. So if you, for example, 
being in a situation where you felt like an outsider. And you felt that you haven't been able to be included in part of the group. And then you see, and you go, and you see there's someone else who's not in the group. You can really see them. Someone that's always been part of the group and has never had that experience won't see that. In order to experience something outside of yourself, you almost have to have it inside of yourself at first to create some kind of signal transmission between the external experience and the internal receptor of that experience. So if I want to see the greatness inside of the others, I have to first of all cultivate the greatness inside of myself. And then I can look for clues as I see the human greatness peeking through the curtains of people's beings.